My name is Reverend Dahlia Adams, and I am so honored to be here with you today. We are focusing on freedom. And today, in particular, I want to talk about freedom of the heart. Freedom comes in many different forms and through many different experiences. We have celebrated the freedom to gather in our sanctuary, the freedom to be physically together. And we've talked about the freedom that we experience in our community as a product of our choices, our commitments, the things that we dedicate ourselves to, that freedom is not automatic. It is a result of choices, of commitments of the way we come together. And so today, when we focus on the freedom of the heart, it's the same idea. We need to have a commitment to holding on to this freedom of the heart. I believe, I believe that freedom of the heart is our natural state. It is our divine birthright. It is how we are meant to live every day, every moment, because when our hearts are open and free, we are the best that we can be. Jack Kornfield, one of my favorite Western Buddhist teachers, says, your heart and spirit can be free and joyful no matter what the circumstances of your life. And so that's the good news, that we do not need to have circumstances aligned in a perfect way. We do not have to have everything in our lives feeling just right to experience this freedom of the heart. But this freedom, when we do experience it, creates for us a sense of complete well-being. If everything in our world were arranged just the way we wanted it to be arranged, but our hearts were closed and we did not experience freedom of our hearts, we would not have that sense of well-being. So it's good. It's preferred to have our worlds in order and to have a sense of freedom in our communities and in the ways we interact within our community. However, however, it's this freedom of the heart, I believe, that is central to that well-being that Charles Fillmore, our co-founder, talked about or wrote about when he wrote about freedom. So, freedom of the heart means an open heart. That's central. When our hearts close, and I'm sure each and every one of you can remember a time or imagine a time when you were angry or you were frightened or you felt overwhelmed or stressed or any of the things that we encounter over the course of our lives, and our hearts just close up, our bodies tense up, our hearts close up, and that ability to feel the joy of an open heart, 
for a moment, for a while, is not there. So this openness that freedom of the heart captures, it's an openness. Our hearts become open to love, open to joy, open to the presence of God, whatever we might call that presence, whether we use the word God or divine presence within us or Holy Spirit or spirit or universe, but that openness to what is in this now moment, that deepest truth, that greatest reality that I choose to call God, but goes by many, many different names. So that openness to that power and presence. And through that, to joy and to love as well. Nelson Mandela is always someone that I think about when I think of this experience of an open heart. You know, when things are going well, when our worlds feel in order, when we're with loved ones, when we have shelter and food, ways of spending time that feel like they renew our spirits, this open heart seems to happen naturally and easily, and the joy that comes with it seems to be the very essence of who we are. But life is not always like that. In the case of Nelson Mandela, he was a political prisoner for 27 years. And he came out of that imprisonment with an open heart, offering love, offering hope, offering joy to people. And what he said was, as I walked through the door toward my freedom, I knew that if I did not leave anger, hatred, and bitterness behind, that I would still be in prison. So I think he captures the main idea, the deepest understanding of freedom of the heart, because it's what we carry in our hearts, our willingness to be open to others, to be open to love, to be open to the presence of God. That's not always easy to do. I mean, we get hurt. People do things they shouldn't do. We can feel our bodies just tightening up. We can feel our muscles getting tighter and tighter. We can feel our heads pounding, our teeth grinding her knees hurting, her bodies react to that closing up because our natural state is to be in that consciousness that is an open heart, that freedom of the heart. Jack Cornfield tells a story about a rabbi who spent most of his time with his students teaching scriptures, teaching spiritual truths and he or spiritual practices. And when he would finish talking about a practice or an idea, <clears throat> he would say, now place this teaching on your heart. 
And the students listen to that day after day, month after month, year after year. And finally, one of his students said to him, Rabbi, why do you tell us to place these teaching on our hearts instead of in our hearts? And the rabbi said, because as you listen right now, it doesn't really go deep into your heart. But I want you to place them on your hearts for the day that your heart is broken. And when your heart breaks and that pain just seems to overwhelm you, your broken heart will be open enough to allow these teachings to come in. And these teachings will help carry you through that experience of a broken heart to the freedom of the heart, which is the truth of who you are. Every one of us probably can easily bring to mind one of those moments when our hearts felt broken, when something happened that feels so painful, we almost don't know what to do with ourselves. And it is in those times that the teachings of unity, the teachings of other spiritual traditions, the things that you have learned in your own life, in your own spiritual journey, those are the moments that those teachings need to come through that broken heart into the very heart of your being. Anne Lamott, an author, she lived for a long time in Marin County. I don't know if she's still there or not. But she's not a religious teacher. She's not a spiritual teacher. But she wrote a book called Help, Thanks, Wow. And she calls these the three essential prayers. And she says that when we pray, we're either saying help, we're turning to God because we're feeling overwhelmed or overpowered or in pain somehow. And then once our worlds feel more in order, once we feel better, our prayer becomes thanks. And then other times, the only prayer that makes sense is wow, where we recognize and honor the beauty and the presence of all of creation as an expression of God. She writes the book using stories about herself and her friends. And she told the story of a friend who very early in life was very spiritual, very religious, and he prayed all of the time. And then in his life, one of those periods of time happened when his heart was broken over and over and over again. And he prayed to God, and it felt like God did not hear him. In his words, nothing happened. It was as if nobody was there. So he stopped praying. He could no longer believe that there was any meaning in this prayer, in the process of prayer. And years went by, and he was talking to Anne, and he said to her, you know, there's this empty space inside of me where my prayers used to live. I don't think that I can pray, but that emptiness, I want to fill it somehow. 
And so a little bit of time went by and they spoke again. And he said to her, I've started praying again. I pray to Mount Tamalpais or Mount Tam. Mount Tam is in Marin County where Anne Lamott lived or lives. And so he began by praying to the mountain. And I remember when I read that, because I, I see Mount Tam frequently when I go walking. I go out to the San Francisco Bay and I walk. And on many of those walks, Mount Tam is in view. It's a very, very beautiful mountain. And I remember thinking when I read Anne Lamott's book that someday I might try that. I might pray to Mount Tam. And then I forgot about it. And then I recently went through a period of time where that sense of order in my world was not there, where every part of my body hurt, a time when I couldn't sleep, when I'd wake up with hives. And I, I knew, I knew what I needed to do. But somehow my prayers felt empty. My meditations lasted two minutes, if that long, because of how overwhelmed I was feeling. And then one evening, it was like that story of all of those things I know I've learned. It was like they were on my heart. And in an evening when my heart felt like it was breaking, I remembered, I remembered that for me, one of my spiritual practices is to take a long walk along the water. And in that moment, everything felt so bad. I remember thinking, well, it's not going to work. No way is a walk going to make a difference. But I grabbed my dog, got in the car, drove out to a park that was along the water, and I started walking. And see, this is one of my spiritual practices. And even though I didn't believe it was going to work, I could feel my feet on the ground, on the dirt path. I could feel the rhythm of my walk. I could see the sun shining on the water. And somehow, somehow, I was starting to feel more like myself. Somehow my heart was beginning to open. It wasn't perfect, but I was noticing that just that spiritual practice, that walking, was opening my heart, maybe just a little bit, but it was, it was different as my heart was opening. And I looked over and I saw Mount Tam. And behind Mount Tam, the sun set was creating beautiful lights, beautiful colors that were reflecting in the water. And I stopped, and I looked at Mount Tam, and I said, help, which is the first prayer that Anne Lamott wrote about. And I know I wasn't praying to the mountain as such, but I was. That mountain was so strong. 
you know, it expressed the strength of God. The mountain was always there just the way God is. The mountain had a steadiness. I could trust the mountain to be there. I could trust the mountain to be strong. I could see the light that is an expression of God surrounding that mountain and reflecting from it. And all of this happened in a moment. And I stood there looking at it and I said, help one more time again. And then praying became very easy. After that walk, when I was home, meditation was something that was no longer a struggle. To experience myself in the presence of God was relatively simple. I felt my heart open. Things around me had not changed. The tough stuff was still there, and it was tough. That sense of, I don't want to walk through this part of my life was still there. But I was no longer that small sense of who I was. I was once again in that consciousness of my oneness with God. And I knew that I was being guided, that I was not alone, that I was acting from that consciousness of truth, of oneness. And that my heart was open, open to the power and presence that is God, open to joy, open to love. So I reclaimed the freedom of my heart through my willingness, my willingness to go out and take the walk, even though I didn't hold much hope for it. My willingness to keep moving through every moment. My willingness to pray, even that very simple prayer of help. I was able to reclaim the freedom of my heart through surrender. After that help, after that opening of my heart, there was a surrender to move through what it was I needed to move through and to align with the truth of what God is, to align with the guidance that was within me, to surrender. We've studied in unity authors like Michael Singer. He spent years in the surrender experiment where he would surrender to whatever life was bringing to him. <clears throat> Excuse me. So in those moments, in those days, I was actively choosing to surrender. And through that surrender, I felt my strength. And I reclaimed the freedom of my heart through trust. Because now, after that initial, very simple help that I prayed to the mountain, there was a willingness and an ability to trust in God, to trust that whatever was unfolding was God's divine order. So willingness, surrender, and trust are pathways 
to reclaiming the freedom of our hearts. The AA program, Alcoholics Anonymous, has helped many, many people recover from addictions. And there is such wisdom in the steps that they teach. The third step, they have a 12-step, it's a 12-step program. The third step says, made a decision to turn my will and my life over to the care of God. And they add, as I understand God. So they would be okay for that for a moment I prayed to Mount Tam. They would be good with that. But the idea is to turn my will, my life, over the care of a higher power of something that represents the presence of God. And it is a decision. It is a commitment. And it's a continuous surrender. And when they say the care of God, that implies that trust. That being in the care of God is safe and good and a pathway to even better things. So, today, join me in this declaration, this affirmation. I choose to trust in God. No matter what might be happening in my life, I choose to trust in God. And so it is.